Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have a special guest. I have author Tracy Cohen, who is joining me today from Michigan. We're recording via Zoom, so thank you for joining me. Um, So let's talk a little bit first of your books, and I haven't had a chance to read. You have written three books total, two of which are actually from your self-advocacy perspective of being a woman with Asperger's. And so I want to first talk about introduce your book so that as people are listening, if they're sitting at home, they can Google it and pull it up. Uh, We also have the information about the two books that are related to autism in the show notes. So if a parent is looking for that information, they can find it. But let's talk about your first book that you wrote. And that was, um, you published it in 2015, six word lessons on female Asperger syndrome, 100 lessons to understand and support girls and women with Asperger's. And I love this topic because I do a lot of first responder training and uh, teacher training for like uh, continuing ed credits. And one of the things when we go over the statistics on autism, we talk about female diagnosis rate versus male diagnosis rate. And one of the things I, while the CDC says that one in every Every 151 girls has autism. I always make sure we pause when we talk about that data, because it is my belief that that number is not accurate. And the reason why myself and other researchers and probably female self-advocates would agree that the the reason why we don't think that that uh, statistic is accurate is because for so long, uh, males predominantly were more affected by autism. So a lot of the screening criteria, when we look to assess autism is actually based off of the male brain, not the female brain. And so it is our belief that a lot of females are going undiagnosed because women, girls, females are better at masking their symptoms. They observe their peers and they imitate what their peers are doing. So they can go much longer hiding some of their challenges than say boys, for instance. And so um, would you, how would, how do you feel about that? The statistic rate, one in 51, one in every 151 females. Do you feel like it's accurate? Absolutely not. Um, and I, I think that you can go to any number of sources and you're going to have different, different statistics. Um, that statistic, you know, might be based on, you know, known diagnoses. Um, but what about all those people who are not diagnosed or who are diagnosed late yes. um, or who just choose not to receive a diagnosis? Um, and that's actually um, one of the very reasons why I wrote my first book. Um, because, you know, when when I, I, I didn't know autism existed until I was 30. Um, and you know, growing up, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be 50 this year. So obviously there wasn't as much, you know, knowledge and information about autism then as, as there is now. And the only thing that my family could have known about autism is when I was young, my father took us to see Rain Man. Oh, um, yes, I was going to ask about that. I have yeah. a 
My personal opinion is, is that the movie Rain Man, while good and put autism out in social context that people would understand what autism was, it didn't do us any favors in the autism community because what it created was a lot of stereotypical beliefs of what autism was. Right. I, and I mean, the, the word autism, I don't, at least I, I don't recall was ever even, even used. Um, and it, it was a movie and I, you know, I personally, I loved it. I, I, I think it's a wonderful movie, but in terms of the perspective of educating people about autism, no, that's, that's not what it, it should be looked at for, but, you know, certainly nothing rang a bell because I, I, I wasn't, you know, I'm obviously not, I'm not male. I'm not a genius. I, I'm definitely not, you know, not, not a savant. So there's nothing to, to, to relate to. And once I learned about it and, you know, learned that it was, you know, spectrum and some of the reasons that females are missed are, again, that's part of the focus on my book. But I, I also worked hard to make it many things are, are relevant to, you know, males and females, adults and, and children. But in, you know, learning and going along, the the professionals out there they're not they're also not familiar with the female experience it it was hans asperger who you know it was named after he studied they they he studied males so it was it was typically thought to only be you know only males were were affected and so you know that that affects affects everything. And there are still a lot of professionals out there who are just, you know, they consider themselves experts, but they're still just very, very unaware. Um, I maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I actually had a doctor um tell me he when he um it it's a it's a little bit of a story why I decided to to share with him. But when I told him that I have autism, Asperger syndrome, um, he looked at me and he, you know, gave me a style. He's like, no, you don't. He's like, who told you that? And he started criticizing the, the professional who I was Tony Atwood, if you're familiar, you know, he's a leader in the field and, you know, especially with, you know, females and women. And I mean, they've, you know, they're schooled in all of this. They, they practice it. They research it. They they get to know people. Um, and here he's, and it was Dr. Atwood who, who led me to Dr. McKibben for, for my diagnosis. And he's doubting the people who have, who are in the field and who study, you know, who, who study and their professional expertise and here he's being, and was this just a general practitioner then? Is this the one that was, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was. Um, and, you know, he, he went on to say how he has a niece with autism and, well, autistic people are this and that, and you can't be autistic because you can do this. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that people just don't, don't understand. I mean, you know, I, I've had parents, um, come to me and, you know, maybe their, their child is, is struggling. And they don't have speech yet, or they're having a lot of meltdowns or, and, you know, and they, they look at me and they say, well, you know, my son or daughter is this, but you know, it's, it's easier for you. You know how it is. And that's like, no, I don't, you didn't know me back when I was, you know, an infant, two, three, four, ten. 10. <laughs> 
you don't know the struggles that you don't know how much effort is being put forth to to speak with you and to try to make everybody comfortable. And you're not going to see the meltdown that's going to happen after. <laughs> yeah. Um, there so is I, I yeah, you may not as an adult, you may not be um, having public meltdowns, but there is recovery phase. You have adapted and you have your own, you know, like strategies for having to recover from having to put yourself out there. Um, it just looks different as you get older. You have different skills in order to, you know, adapt and, and deal with the world around you. And so there definitely is still recovery after I'm sure you even after we were finished recording this podcast, it probably it takes a lot out of you to even be able to you know, do something like we're doing today. And so there's a recovery period of time where you have to just regroup and, and, and that's, and everybody's strategies are different for sure. If you wouldn't mind, um, you gave us kind of a, a summary of how you would describe the purpose of your book. Um, would you mind just talking about the premise of the book so that those that are listening kind of understand what the goal that you had through your book that you published in, and it was 2015, correct? Correct. Okay. So what was your mission when that, the, the goal of that book? After I received my, my diagnosis, and that was when I was 39, you know, I, I'd never been one to, you know, make excuses. And so I, you know, and, and there's, it's a spectrum, you know, obviously. And so there's, there's always more to learn and not knowing about autism until I was 30. I just, and just wanting to help people, I, you know, continued to read. And I read the book and went to the, the resources at, at, at the back. And they were like, well, you know, become an author. Are you an expert on something? And, you know, with learning that the, you know, because before I didn't understand that females, you know, express, you know, the, the traits and symptoms of autism differently and that were so often missed. And I was kind of like, well, you know, sort of, yeah. And so that's why I wanted to put something out there that, you know, gives some insight into the female experience and as to why females are commonly missed and that there are still females out there who are, you know, probably missed and, you know, what, what things can be done to, to, to help. But at the same time, I also, you know, I wanted to make it relevant for children and adults. I wanted to make it relevant for people on the spectrum as well as, you know, families and just anybody willing to learn. And one of the reasons I really like the format of it is because it's very concise. And you know, with today's world, people are always in a rush and, you know, they don't want to want to read. And, and I know for myself, if when I was a baby, a child, if anybody had been familiar, if there had been some kind of resource out in the pediatrician's office that, you know, my mom would have picked up and she could have read a couple pages and then like, oh my gosh. Um, because my mom always felt that something was wrong. She knew something wasn't right, but when she, you know, went to doctors or, you know, family, friends, they, she was told one of the three things, one, that I'm a brat, um, even as an infant, infant, two, that she was making too big of a deal, too big a deal of things, or three, that she's just, that it's her fault and she's just an awful mother. Oh. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine you have a, a newborn and you're being told that, you know, all the troubles are your fault. Um, 
And so the the way the book is formatted and written, it's 100 lessons broken into 10 chapters. Every chapter title is six words. Every lesson title is six words. And every lesson is followed by a 40 to 60 word description. And then there are resources at the back. So what I really tried to do is I tried to pack a lot of information into as few amount of words as possible. The other mission of my book is, again, I, I know that there is more information out there than back when I was, you know, a baby and a child. But um, I still, there, there needs to be more. And one of the things that I think is really missing is, you know, there is knowledge and there's professionalism and there's quote unquote expertise. And then there's really understanding. And I really want to bridge that gap between having the knowledge and really understanding what what it means to have autism. Because I, I have plenty of people who, you know, including family, who they know things about me um, and they know certain things I do and they might even know the reasons. But then when they see it, when I, you know, let go a little bit and, um, you know, I... I ask something again just to see if it's changed or, or, or what, whatever else. Um, they get annoyed and they get frustrated. It's like, why do you do that? Like, well, <laughs> you know, and, and I understand that, you know, things can be frustrating. I think that's actually a really good point. That was something that just kind of sat with me for a moment when we were talking about this is that there is a big difference between knowledge and understanding. And I think that um, I hadn't thought about that perspective until you just mentioned it is that there is a vast difference between those two elements. You know, a lot of people can um, have lots of knowledge about lots of different things, but it's different, you know, where the difference is, is how you then apply what information you have. And then you have that better level of understanding and compassion and empathy too, because, you know, when you really start then taking more of that knowledge and turning it into a, a, a place of understanding, that's where I think you get empathy and understanding. And so that's where I think that we're going to see a lot of progress. And so I thank you for actually being one of the people that has, is helping to bring understanding out there because without authors and, you know, people taking the time to educate people, we're never going to get to that place of understanding. So I think it's wonderful. Um, I also love the fact that it's very concise because as we know, I am, um, people will say that I have the gift of gab. So I talk, I have a lot of words that come out of my mouth, but very few of them are actually really um, relevant and important. So being concise is really wonderful for those that just need it in a very concise method of, you know, being able to absorb the information. So I think that's actually something new and different because let's be real. A lot of authors like to be very wordy and flowery as opposed to being very precise and concise. So the, the other thing about the book is you can, you can read it, you can read the lessons in order, but you can all, each lesson stands on its own. So you know, and, and it's meant to be a reference so that if something doesn't, you know, ring true or seem helpful, you know, maybe at the moment, you can always go back to it and then you might gain a, a better perspective or, you know, understand more or, or find a lesson when, when you more really need it, when it's more relevant to, to you. And, and the other part too that I wanted, I know that when I was, after I first learned about autism, and um, I was reading to try to figure out, you know, is this, you know, really relevant to me? I read a book by Leanne Holiday Wiley. It was called Pretending to be Normal. 
And, you know, essentially she was sharing her story and, you know, it helped me to, you know, to better understand and still feel even more strongly that I needed to pursue, you know, keep learning about it. And it also helped me to not feel so alone. And that's the other thing I wanted, both for people on the spectrum, as well as parents, families, um, just wanted, you know, any support I can offer, any help I can give people aren't alone. So I think what you just said is important is that element of feeling alone. Like when you don't feel like you identify or connect on the same level with your peers or anyone, uh, I have had some self-advocates describe it as, you know, they feel almost like they're an alien on a planet because there's, you know, everyone is operating at a certain level and it's it's just such a, it's so foreign that you feel like you're an alien from another planet because you just can't relate to these people that you're going to school with, that you're doing activities with. Do you feel that there's some 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 truth to that in terms of how you oh my gosh that's that's the story of my life um I I I don't really belong anywhere this is well before I I I even knew about autism um I I went into the the Peace Corps and you know kind of after my diagnosis um people were like well you know how can you have how can you have you know autism how can you have Asperger's syndrome change you've said it yourself you know change is just absolutely devastating to you. Um, and, and it is. But what people, you know, sometimes fail to, to realize is sometimes it's the little changes that are the most troubling because, you know, we learn early, early on that things are going to change. But sometimes I like I'm, I'm a diehard runner for, for many reasons. Um, but it also it's running is my rock. You know, it's like, it it gives me peace. I love the mechanics. It it does so much for me. And it's it's also part part of my routine. And so there are just little things in my life that I know that I can depend on. They're not going to, they're not going to judge me. They're not going to change their plans on me. They're going to be there for me no no matter what. I, I took my running shoes with me to Namibia where I served in the Peace Corps. And, you know, yeah, it was, it was very different over there. And I, you know, faced a whole lot of unknowns, but I brought kind of like the rocks in my life that I knew that, you know, I could count on. And just like you said, what people don't realize is, yeah, they spoke a, a different language over there and yeah, the culture is different, but people speak a different language here. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a different culture here. I, I am, I'm a stranger. And, you know, I, I don't mean a hundred percent literally that I don't belong anywhere. You know, when the majority of the people, including your family, just don't really get you, that has a very lonely, lonely feel. And, you know, going over to Namibia, where, you know, I was only going over there to help. People don't expect you to speak the same language. They they don't expect you to blend into their culture because you're not the same culture. They know that. Yeah. But most of the people over there could see my character and understood that I I genuinely have a good heart and I was genuinely there to to try that to try to help, to try to learn and to try to teach. And so they they pretty much accepted me for, you know, who I was, as opposed to looking at me like this, you know, this, this oddball who, 
you know, what's wrong with her? <laughs> you actually felt more at home when you were doing your Peace Corps mission versus just being at home amongst your own family and your community. There, there are different levels to it. Yeah. But, you know, again, people look at that as such a huge change. And, you know, how could you do that if you like routine and, and if, you know, change bothers you and, you know, it's, it's totally foreign, totally un, unknown. It is, it is here too. And in, in some ways it's more hurtful here because yeah. of course you, you know, the people who supposedly know you, it's somehow harder when, when they're closer to you. I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm criticizing, you know, friends or family or anyone else because people, people try, but when it becomes so blatant, how different you are, um, it's, it's, it's just, it's just difficult. And I, you know, again, let me, let me be very clear. I have some very, very wonderful people in my life who I'm very, very, very grateful for. And I am as far from perfect as you can get in terms of, you know, well, in terms of everything, but also, you know, understanding people and, but I, I try. Um, and I, I know that, you know, the wonderful people in my life try as well. I was only trying to, to to kind of, you know, emphasize your point of that alien feeling. Oh yeah, it's, it's true. And I can't speak for everybody on the spectrum. Um, we're, We're all different. But yes, um, there is a lot of truth to that. So now as a tr- as as an adult and as a woman now where you're more well known because you've now you're a published author, do you have I'm guessing that you probably have more contact, you've met more young women who are also on the autism spectrum. Do you feel like when you're connecting with them? that you have a play a, a more of a social opportunity, a, a group of people where you can connect with and you're just like, Oh my gosh, like this, these are my people. Or is it still hard even when you're, um, I, I guess, number one, my question is, do you ever mentor young women? Cause I have to think that because you are a published author and you have this knowledge that you put yourself out there, that probably a lot of young women on um, the autism spectrum are reaching out to you because they identify with what you're saying. I mean, this is like, oh my gosh, yes, this is, makes a lot of sense. So do you have women reaching out to you for like mentorship? A little bit to, to some, to some extent, but you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I don't even know that you could call me, you know, big fish, small pond, <laughs> you know, still, still kind of getting the word out there. And I think one of the things too, that you have to understand is the, the social world is just very hard and scary and you know it's it's hard it's hard to reach out period but especially you know to someone you you don't you don't know um that being said yeah i i have done some mentoring i've done some classes through oakland university and i'm i'm actually working with an autistic woman right now we have she has a nonprofit called full spectrum agency for autistic adults is that in the state of michigan well, it is, except that, you know, with the onset of the pandemic, it's, it's completely virtual now. All of, all of the meetups are virtual. So anybody listening, anybody who is on the autism spectrum, diagnosed or not, you know, just if they feel they fit, they are more than welcome to attend a meetup. There are probably about five 
five or six meetups a month. That's very cool. I get asked a lot of the time for more resources, opportunities for people to connect. So this will be good. I can actually add it to some yeah. of our, our referral list so that we have it. That, that would be absolutely wonderful. Most of the meetups are free. See, the free meetups get very large and there are a lot of peer support ones. So in wanting everybody to be able to have time to, to speak and you know comment and share, we're trying to roll out some small peer support meetups, which, which I'm doing. And, um, those are, those are $6, um, $6 a piece. So we, you know, we really try to keep any, you know, any costs just absolutely as, as minimal as possible. So again, the, the free ones, they tend to be a little larger, The the small ones were, we're having, um, 12 people right now. And I can, if you like, I can put the meetup page um, with those events in the chat also. That would be great. Because like I said, any okay. sort of resource we can send to people, I think is great. And since it's virtual, it doesn't matter where you are to be able to take advantage. So I just wanted to go back on um, to talk a little bit about your childhood. So do, did you grow up with siblings? Do you have siblings in your life? I have one sibling. I have a sister who is three years older. So she was older. So when you talked about your mom, like she recognized at an early age that there was differences. It's probably because she had your sister and then now she has your, you as her new bundle of joy. And she noticed that there were some differences and she had concerns and didn't feel like anyone was listening to her about some of the concerns. For, for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I was very different than my sister, but also just from you know, I think even a mother who hasn't had um, a child before, um, I I did not want to be held. Oh. Um, I I I didn't babble. I wouldn't take my bottle. I cried a lot. I wouldn't make eye contact as I as I got older. Any any little thing, you know, any any kind of little change, I would just absolutely, you know, have have a meltdown and. Again, people were telling her, you know, she's just a brat. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't speak until I think I was two years old. But when I did, I spoke, you know, very much. It wasn't any kind of cute babble or anything. It was very, very directed and very, you know, like a little professor. You know, it was very specific in terms of what I wanted or what I needed or or what I wanted to to convey. There was no. I call that precise language. My son, Caleb was very much like that. When he started talking, it was very precise. He, you know, there was no wonderings and, you know, display, it was very precise language where, you know, he would ask for his needs and wants or have questions about different things. And so I can totally relate as growing up. Did you have any sensory challenges in terms of how a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very, very sensitive. To, to sound, um, I probably hear things at least ten times louder than than other people. And yeah, I get, I, you know, even though I acquired language and it was very precise, as you say, I also didn't have the insight to understand what what was happening or the language to to convey what what I was feeling. You know, there'd be a loud sound and I'd absolutely go crazy and I get I get yelled at, I get you know criticized, I get. And it's like, seriously, I mean, again, I didn't have the, the words or insight to express it, but th- this is what's normal. This is what you guys like, you know, yeah. um, as well as my both my, my father and my sister, um, they tease a lot. 
And they, they really, they teased me, um, my whole life. And even though, you know, I would say stop or they could, you know, they could see I was getting upset, you know, they kept doing it. What I guess they didn't realize is that everything they said, I took very literally. Um, and so I, I grew up, you know, feeling very unloved, very unliked. Which then also affected your self-esteem. And I think when you don't have a strong self-esteem, it's really hard for you to shoot high and have the confidence to be able to accomplish your hopes and dreams. So how did that work in terms of going to school and just post-school? How how was school? Did you, you went to school and graduated? I'm guessing school was probably a really hard time too. I can only imagine. Yeah. So just just a couple of things, and I apologize. I, I jumped. We were talking about sensory issues. One of the other big things is touch. My my father, in addition to his teasing, he you know he liked to you know kind of play rough, you know, and and poke and tease and hug and cuddle and you know all that kind of stuff. And for me, that was just over overwhelming. And for me, you know, regular touch can be painful, and so I was always pushing away and getting upset. And, you know, he took it as rejection. And so did my sister. And so that that caused a lot of problems too. But in terms of school, yeah, school school was difficult. One of the things about me and with, again, not, not all females, we're all different. But despite all the troubles, I, I have always been, even as a very, very, very young child, um, I just wanted to please, you know, I really, I, I have a good heart. I believe I always have. I just want to please. I don't want to cause trouble. And so, you know, I honestly can't remember exactly what was said to me, but I knew that, you know, you go to school, you're supposed to learn. The The world has rules. You are supposed to follow the, the rules. And for me, that's literally, <laughs> which, you know, has been confusing. But so that, that's what I did. You know, I it doesn't mean that school was easy. I, you know, tried to make it my business to, you know, to, to do what I needed to do to, you know, get as high grades as, as possible in school as, as I could. And I know that you know, di- diagnosis is a very, very individual choice, but, and I know we're not talking about this right now, but um, I just want to put it out there that regardless of whether somebody has a diagnosis or not knowledge is very, very, very important because when you don't have a correct diagnosis, other things can happen. And nobody, again, I didn't know autism existed until I was 30 and I wasn't diagnosed until I was 39. So there are a lot of years in between that. And there was a lot of misunderstanding. And when I was about 11, I was actually institutionalized and I spent a couple of years in an institution and that was probably the worst, the scariest experience of my life. And I had a lot of the psychiatrists who told my parents to put me there, the staff, they would tell me things, you know, they would say, you're, you're, you're doing this for this reason. And they would accuse me of things and nobody listened to me. They, they wouldn't believe me. You know, not only wasn't I ever diagnosed with autism when I was in there, but it, it wasn't even suspected. So I, I still have nightmares from my years there. So that was, that was a pretty difficult and scary experience, you know, especially for, I mean, 11 obviously isn't the, you know, the youngest people, but 
was was it was pretty scary and pretty lonely and yeah you want to talk about having no confidence you know that's that's still something i struggle with a, a great deal but i've also always always been very stubborn so <laughs> you know we kind of live in a, a sink or swim kind of world and for whatever reason you know i i keep trying to thread water and do some strokes whenever i can <laughs> and so ah. again um, trying not to cry. Right. That is just right. breaks my heart. I had no idea. <laughs> like I literally am trying not to cry because I can't even imagine. And and again, I'm not I'm not criticizing. Please don't think I'm criticizing my my parents. They were listening to a professional, and I'm not even I'm not so much criticizing the professional as to some of the professionals out there. Again, there is a big difference between the knowledge that you think you have, and I'm not suggesting you don't have it, but you also need to listen. You need to listen to the people who you are working with, whether it be the the person you are looking to diagnose or the families, because I, and again, I can't speak for everybody on the spectrum, but honesty is a huge part of my core. And I, I, that's something else I get teased for. I got teased for a lot growing up because I, I didn't lie. I didn't know how to lie. I couldn't lie. Sometimes when I just tried to fit in and I would try to lie, I'd get laughed at because it was so blatantly obvious. You know, parents, you know, need to trust their instincts. And sometimes, you know, we'll know often you need the the advocate, the person themselves. You need to trust their instincts. You need to let them make mistakes because that's how they're really going to learn. They're not going to learn by somebody, you know, telling them. When I was in the institution, they pretty much forced me to take some medication. And I told them, no, I told them it wasn't going to make a difference. I told them that that wasn't what was wrong with me. And, you know, I somehow learned that there were certain things I had to do in order to eventually get out of there. And so I took it. I can tell you that they didn't have have me on it for very long because it certainly didn't make any difference. Yeah. Um, and I'm not dissing medication either. Um, but. I'm just trying to really emphatically express that there, the process, the learning process, the healing process, the growing process, it needs to be a team effort. You know, neurotypicals or professionals or, you know, who, who, whoever it is, whether it's a person on the spectrum who's a professional helping others, you have your information, but there is, you know, it's the same thing when you go to school. There is book learning and there's real life. And yeah. it's about working together. Yeah. Which is a wonderful segue into your second book, which was just published last August of 2020. And that book is My Life on the Autism Spectrum, Misunderstanding, Insights, and Growth, which I have to say now knowing your background and your childhood and the institutionalized, like that as being such a big piece of, of your early development, like I, I have to tell you, I'm very excited to read that book because when I hear of this misunderstandings that you've had to deal with your entire life, I, and then to see where you are now as a published author and being such a strong advocate for other young women who are on the autism spectrum, like, honestly, if you were in front of me, I would want to hug you because like, it just is very powerful to me that you've overcome so many obstacles to do what you're doing now. And you're not jaded and angry about some of those experiences that you had as a child that are just absolutely awful. Like, like I said, I'm trying not to cry, just knowing that you were put in an institution because of things, something that you could not control and no one listening to how you were trying to describe your differences. So 
let's talk a little bit about that book. I have to, I have to assume that maybe some of it, some of the premise of this book has to do with some of those misunderstandings throughout your entire life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let me just practice, practice again. Um, I, before I said about writing it, um, I spoke with my, um, my mother and my father and my sister because I didn't want, this is not a for me and look what, you know, look how they, you know, look what they did, but look how they didn't lose. Not, not at all. Not, not, it is not a criticism at all to, to my family. And I wanted to make sure that they would be okay with my putting some information out there. And, you know, thankfully, great, you know, I'm grateful to them. Um, they, they were, and they, they trusted me. Um, we've, we've, come, we've come a long way. We still have, you know, ways, ways to go and, you know, no family's perfect, but, um, you know, we're, we're all still, we've come a long way, but yeah, I, you know, again, there's that difference between having knowledge and really, you know, kind of understanding how that can affect a person on the spectrum, how that can affect the mother, the sister, the father, you know, the, the, the friends. And again, this, this one is also, it's, it's not the format of the six word lesson book, but, um, the chapters are, they're on the shorter side and they are concise. But again, that's because I want people to, to, to read it. It's not an encyclopedia to read, but there is information so that when you hear about something, you can, you kind of have an exact example, you know, a very descriptive example of what that means, what that can look like. So there, there is information about when I, what it was like when I was in the institution. Um, I have pictures in there as well for my life growing up and um, there are resources um, in the back. Wow. The thing that just blows my mind about this is that that having been in an institution and not feeling like anyone was listening to you describing your individual differences so that people could help you, how we dealt with mental illness years and years ago is much different than how we work with mental illness now. And so I can only imagine, you know, like some of the strategies that they use to try and I'm using air quotes here, help you um, to be the person, you know, that could fit more in the mainstream of, of society. But um, the fact that you, as an adult, I mean, that could jade anyone into just being angry, resentful, and, and have a very jaded perspective of, you know, science, diagnosis, even parenting. And the fact that you have this tender, kind heart, and even now want to use your experiences to help other people is just astounding to me because it could really turn a person to be a jaded and angry and bitter and resentful person. And so, I mean, that is very unique because I think, you know, it's hard to navigate life as a neurotypical and not be jaded by traumatic experiences that you know, I had as a child and not have those trick be triggers and obstacles of just, you know, resentment and, and anger as an adult. So what do you, why do you think that you were able to use these experiences and turn them into positives? And actually, I mean, again, as you were describing, you had no resentment for your parents or your sister, and you even went back and talked to them as you were working on your current, your t- uh, book that you published in 2020 to make sure that they were okay with what your goal had been to just, you know, identify some of the misunderstandings and the insights. Why do you think that your capacity for you to using that for, for something to be good, do you have any feelings about that? 
gosh, a, a, a lot to, to, to think about and respond to. I'll try to do this concise. And also I, I always change topics on you and I never really finish the other. So oh, just fine. Part, part of my point about the institution was obviously I was out of school. Um, but I did make it back to finish up high school and I did earn a bachelor of science in kinesiology at the university of Michigan in Ann Arbor and a K through 12 teaching certificate. So um, that's my school. So are you a, um, a PE teacher? Then how, how did you use that professionally? Um, yeah. So, um, now we're going down another road, so I'll come back to the other, Okay. but yeah, um, <laughs> in in going through school, I worked part-time at an early childhood school. And and a lot of this is in is in my my new book, kind of, you know, there's a part on education and career, and there are, you know, tips and and so when I did my student teaching and physical education at the elementary and high school, and in sending out resumes, I also sent one to the early childhood school that I've been working at because you know, there's something about the little ones, you know, and um, maybe because I could relate to them. They were just, you know, there there was no guessing with them. You know, there, you know, there's no there's no hidden meaning. They they mean what they say. They say what they mean, verbal or not. People really underestimate babies because they sure do communicate. You just have to know how to listen. Yeah. Um. So anyway, they hired me full time after I graduated, and that's where I started. And so. It's been a, you know, my my path has been anything but typical, not not purposefully, <laughs> but I worked for um, a couple of years in the early childhood school, and then a family whose daughter had graduated from my toddler classroom wasn't real happy with the school anymore, and they it was changing, and they asked if I would take my teaching skills and do what I did in the school and take it in their home with their daughter. And there they had a young, they had a, I think he was, I think he was about six months old at the time. And so I, you know, you can call it nanny, you can call it babysitting. But what I did was I was, I, I taught in schools in, in homes. And I did that with a few families. And it was the last family that I did it with where I became aware of, of autism. Um, they, had a son who was struggling and they were told he wasn't diagnosed, but they were told that, that the professionals thought he had Asperger's syndrome. Well, the family didn't know what Asperger's syndrome was. I'd never heard of it. And Asperger's is autism. This is just before 2013 when they changed all those, all those, you know, they took away the the different categories. So anyway, it was, I went to a conference to learn about him to help, you know, better work with him. And that's where, you know, the speaker started talking and I started crying because it's like, how does this man know me? He's never met me. How is it that he's telling everything about me when he when he's never met me? <laughs> and he he understood things and validated things that nobody ever understood or, you know, things that I was criticized for and, and told I was stupid for. and. So that's, that was kind of my, you know, teaching journey. And then I heard about the Peace Corps through a runner friend when, I don't know, I might have been in high school. And it was something I always wanted to do simply because I knew it was about helping people. In terms of why I've always wanted to help people, I, I don't know, you know, despite 
despite, you know, no family is perfect, but um, like I try to keep emphasizing, I, I really do have um, a wonderful family. My, my parents, you know, despite not, despite all the misunderstandings and, and the, the troubles, um, they're, they're very, very, very good people. And so we're, we're certainly different. <laughs> but but they're they're very good people it's not to say that i haven't had you know anger or you know frustration or whatever but there's such a big difference between you know somebody doing something hurtful because they're intending to because they mean to hurt you and they intend harm and they intend disrespect and it's just being a misunderstanding and we have so many of those in our world, whether we're talking about autism or, or anything else. And that's one of that's one of the other reasons why I so value the Peace Corps and, and people just don't get it. You know, yes, and, and I'm not I'm not disrespecting our, our troops because we need our armed forces. But you know, part of what the Peace Corps is doing is it's it's trying to not only help developing countries, but to bring American culture to the to the developing countries and help them understand us and bring the developing countries culture back to the United States so that we can understand them. And, you know, it's not about becoming clones of each other, not at all. It's about respecting and understanding the differences and understanding that the differences are going to help make the world go round and keep it interesting. You know, we, so you know, let's let's have a little more peace and prevent some of the fighting. I mean, I know all in a perfect world, but yeah. it can help. It really, it really, really can. So why? Well, I've I've been very I don't know. I've been very despite everything, I've been very fortunate in my life. Yeah, I've had bullies and I've had people who have, you know, purposely tried to wrong me, but I also have a lot of really good people in my life who have tried to help me and and show me love even though you know sometimes we need to help people or love people but do it in a way that's not perfect or right for us and figure out what's right for them how they can accept it and when you're different that's a process and it's difficult and it's hurtful on both sides i didn't mean to hurt my father i wasn't trying to push him away i just knew he was grabbing at me and touching me in ways that i hurt i don't mean Touching, I, I mean, oh, yeah. playing, but yes. that, that playing, his intentions were all good, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the words to say, you know, that hurts. I have sensory issues, dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what that was. I, I didn't know how to express that. So, you know, I hurt him. He hurt me. You know, we all hurt each other. It wasn't intentional. It was misunderstandings. Yeah. Um, and so let's. Let's not be angry. Let's let's work to to create just understanding and acceptance and um, peace. <laughs> well, and I think so. What, exactly what you said is using the principle of what the Peace Corps is is taking the individual differences of um, developing countries, and then of course you know our culture, and have a mutual respect for the individual differences of two different cultures. But we can take exactly what you said and apply that to to the world of the autism spectrum. We need to accept 
and honor and understand individual differences and not just in the autism spectrum in the entire, like we can talk, we can use the same analogy, even when we talk about other diagnoses like Down syndrome, cerebral palsy. Um, you know, I myself have dyslexia. And, you know, I grow up with a very low self-esteem because nobody, you know, dyslexia when I was young, cause I'm, you know, going to be 45 here in August. And so I'm not that much younger than you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When's your birthday? August 28th. Okay. I'm 19. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Nice. Right. Um, but the thing about that was, is I grew up having a very low self-esteem because back in that time frame, dyslexia was, you saw letters differently. And now with a better understanding of dyslexia, it's so much more than just seeing letters differently or backwards or the wrong order. And again, so I was raised my whole life thinking that I was just dumb. I was an underachiever. I wasn't applying myself. I wasn't motivated, all of these things. And, um, it, because of that, I grew up with an imposter syndrome thinking that, you know, all of a sudden when I started learning strategies to overcome and make up for my deficits, I felt like this imposter that, oh no, I'm really dumb. If only these people, these people are going to figure out that I'm actually really quite stupid. And it really affects your self-esteem when really what we need is understanding and respecting individual differences and taking the time to understand how different people function and operate in the world and how those experiences, you know, define you and make you who you are are. And so I think that there's so much truth to what you're saying is respecting and, and taking the time to listen and understand individual differences and what makes us all unique. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was trying to express. And the other part that we, we all need to work on, and I'm sure that every one of us is guilty of it. When something is different, we don't need to criticize it. We don't need to be fearful of it. And just because something's different, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Yes. It might not be right for us and it might make us uncomfortable and it might be confusing to us, but unless it is purposefully out to hurt somebody else, who's to say it's wrong? Yeah. You know, and you don't have to like everybody, but that's fine. Deal with people, you know, as they are, get to know them if you can, if you're not, or if you do and you still don't like them. Well, be courteous, be respectful, be kind until you can move on. Yeah. But you don't need to, you know, make fun or criticize or assume that they're wrong because something is different than your norm and yeah. you want to consider them wrong and, and you're right. That's not true. Your different isn't any more wrong than they're different. There, there are different rights for two people. There's a, a basic principle of right and wrong. Yes. And then... And then there are differences in terms of what's right for one. Yeah. And, you know, actually a saying that I have heard and it has really like sat with me for a long time is, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? Because you aren't ever going to be right. And if you are constantly seeking like this, you know, uh, a place where you're getting acknowledged for being, yes, you are right. You will never be happy because you know what I mean? And that's the whole thing is, yeah. is that. I think we need to be thinking about that. There's being, you you know, being right and, and projecting your sense of what's right and wrong on other people actually really diminishes your ability to be happy. Absolutely. And, and the, the other, just to add to that is you're never going to be the best. Yeah. Um, there, is, there is no best. Um, I'm a huge sports fan. And like I've said, I'm a runner. I, I, I like to compete kind of more against myself than, you know, other people in ways. But, you know, I'll have people, you know, in races say, oh, well, 
my time was this, but that's because of the wind. You know, my my PR is this. Well, you know what? It's it's all relative. You know, there's there's and you know, you start looking at professional sports. People want to claim, you know, well, the the very best pitcher was because these are his stats. Well, but the the game has changed. Yeah. You know, there are some you can't you can't have a comparison. You can say, you know, somebody can be the best maybe for one race, you know, yeah. where everything is equal. Everybody's starting in the same place and the course and the environment conditions are all the same. But you can't compare that to a trail race where you're going up steep mountains and can't say, oh, well, my time was better than theirs. Well, you know, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not apples to apples for sure. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about your books. We're going to put them in the show notes so people can find them. Are they available? Tell us how we can get a copy of your books. Yeah, so um, they are available on Amazon and they're available in a paperback and ebook. They're available through a lot of other ebook sources, uh, Smashwords and, and Nook and apple you barnes and noble people can um people i'm people can contact me they just have to you know pay pay for shipping and you're welcome to put my contact information in the you know podcast if you want it's tracy at growingupautistic.com people can um uh my books are in some libraries um expanded distribution people can get them um, if somebody wants to go into their local bookstore and um, uh, they don't carry my book, they can certainly have them ordered in. So fantastic! I have to. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you better. You're truly an inspiration. So I just have to tell you, like, I'm a big fan already. So and the other thing too is, I have to tell you, if you ever get to Washington State, please, please, please let me know because I would love to be able to actually meet you in person because you're very inspiring. So. Thank you so much. I feel likewise. That's a dangerous offer because I I really love to travel. And when I said I want to come to Washington, I absolutely mean of a thousand percent. You guys have, I've heard just the most beautiful trails and um, oh, I, would, I, would, I would love to meet you and I would love yes. to explore well, the trails. If you, come, I, if you come to Washington, we're on Eastern Washington. So we're in Spokane over towards North Idaho. So if you end up coming this neck um, to this neck of the woods, I think we should connect and we could even do even a meet and greet. So people can actually meet you in person if you're up for that, because I know there's probably a lot of people that would love to be able to meet you in person. I would love that. And I remind you that I'm pretty literal. So no, I actually, I am 100% serious now that we have some, now it's, a, we're getting some, you know, more flexibility because of COVID restrictions. I think that, you know, if you want to come to Washington, please, like we should talk about that because I would love to have you in, in wash in Spokane. So I, I, I would love that. That would be, that would be amazing. Um, and just, just real quick before, before we go, I, I just want to make sure you know, you've given me, you know, lots of kudos and um, I, I appreciate it. But also thank you to you for everything that you do as a, you know, as a parent, for parent, for people on the spectrum. I, I read your story and, you know, you are every bit as um, and more inspiring and, you know, talk about turning, you know, tragedy into, you know, into positive. So don't think that, you know, all your work um, and everything you are is 
is taken for granted. So thank you. Well, thank you. I would love for you to be able to meet my son, Caleb, because I'm always trying to, one of my missions is to help him be a strong self-advocate because as all parents can say, you know, I can't live forever to help be his advocate. And so my mission in life is to introduce him to strong self-advocates so that he can, you know, have the confidence to be able to advocate for what he needs. And so I would love as part of you coming to visit us here in Spokane that you can meet my son. So thank you. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. We thank you for joining. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.